in the morning. When you want the news, you need the front page every hour on the press box. Nothing's riding on this except the uh, First Amendment, the Constitution, freedom of the press, and maybe the future of the country. Not that any of that matters. And now, the news. So the draft started at number three last night, even though even though it took us 33 minutes to get through the first two picks that everybody knew were coming. But the 49ers ended up taking Trey Lance third overall, and Kyle Shanahan said afterwards, they knew all along they were taking Trey Lance when they made the trade back in March to get up to number three. Not sure about March. I mean, look, it's fine that they took Trey Lance and he's their guy, but... You tell me that they didn't make some do some serious film watching of a guy who played one game last year and was an FCS team. I mean, he might be great. Um, I love the fact there was a tweet last night that North Dakota State has had more quarterbacks drafted in the last three years <laughs> than the entire Big Ten. That was actually pretty funny. But do I believe March? No. Well, one, he probably got calls, you know, to move up, and he probably had to consider trade options because I'm sure people wanted to move up for one of these guys. But I there's no chance. Um, He's 20 years old and played one full season against FCS, 17 starts, that you knew in March this was absolutely the guy without going through the Justin Fields and Mac Jones and everyone else in terms of uh, uh, researching them. I do think if if Trey Lance starts over Jimmy Garoppolo, because I think Shanahan said yesterday it's going to be hard to beat Jimmy Garoppolo. If he beats out Jimmy Garoppolo, I think Trey Lance is going to be the most successful rookie quarterback because he is. I think he's going to be in the best situation. It's a quarterback-friendly offense. The 49ers are a good team, unlike say, you know, the Bears or the Jaguars or the Jets or something like that. Like he's on a good team with a good quarterback. So I think if he does in fact end up starting most of their games, he'll be the best rookie quarterback next season. Oh, yeah. I mean, the Jets are a disaster. I mean. Jacksonville total rebuild. I'm sure you'd like that they took the running back late in the first round. Oh, boy. Um, oh, boy. Well, tra- I mean, it was funny. He's like, Trevor, this is Urban. Who do you want next? Uh, how about my buddy, Travis? Hicks? Okay, we'll take him. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I mean, well, what about Matt? I mean, Mac Jones, I don't know. I mean, the Patriots, who knows? You know, he's, you know, rebuilding are usually good. I don't know how good they're going to be. They were down last year. And here's the thing. I don't know with Cam if Mac Jones is how much he'll start this year. Yeah, and the other part with Mac Jones is he very much feels like a, hey, if you're playing, we're going to have a good defense because all their players are that opted out are back. Uh, just don't screw right. it up for us. So it doesn't just manage really, the game. Yeah. Right. It doesn't appear to be a situation where, hey, we need you to do so a lot. with, with And Trey Lance, it's kind of similar. They might ask him to manage it too. It's just going to be a much more friendly offense where the quarterback is going to look good. And by the way, you bring up the Travis Etienne pick for the Jaguars at 25. What are they doing? What kind of a stupid pick was that? Here, Okay, here's the worst part about that Jaguars pick. They have James Robinson. The Jaguars literally have the perfect example of why running backs don't matter. James Robinson was undrafted and rushed for 1,000 yards as a rookie undrafted thousand yard rusher if you played fantasy football he's like one of the top six running backs in fantasy football he was undrafted that's the perfect example of why running backs do not matter and for some reason the jaguars the worst team in football use their second first round pick on a running back 
What the hell is wrong with them? It's the dumbest thing they could have possibly done. No, I mean it was. I mean, I was making, I was making a joke, but maybe they did call Trevor. I don't know. They I mean, might he, have. He's in charge of the entire organization now, so he probably made the next pick. I mean, Urban also has a 33-year-old who's never played tight end in his entire life out here in shorts. Spoilers. Spoilers, Jared. We're getting to Tim Tebow later. We got a lot on Tim Tebow. I didn't say his name. You spoiled it. Next question. The Chicago Bears traded up to 11 to select Justin Fields. Gave up a first-round pick to move up uh, nine spots in this first round. So... Andy Dalton, he's probably not going to be quarterback number one, right? Well, poor QB1. I mean, <laughs> you had to feel bad about QB1. It was like he was QB1. It was like he was the QB1 on that uh, that reality show on Netflix that Tate Martell was once QB1 when they put that out there. How pissed was Andy Dalton last night wherever he was watching this? Like, wait a minute. I'm QB1. How mad was he? But how happy were Bear fans? Did you see the reaction from them? It's like I don't think they I don't think they like QB1. They wanted someone else. I mean, they the Chicago Bears might have done something well. I know the last time they traded up for a quarterback, it didn't work out very well. But they might have just gotten the second best quarterback in this draft at pick number eleven. Like they they might have done something really well. We don't really know which of these quarterbacks is gonna turn out to be good and which are gonna suck. That's the great part about the NFL draft. But they might have just gotten a really good quarterback at number eleven. So if if you're the Bears right now, I think you're happy with the process. I don't know if the result's going to be good, but you're happy with the process today of trading up to get Justin Fields at 11, and, you know, he ends up being the fourth quarterback taken and not the second. Man, the Andy Dalton era of the Chicago Bears. That's great. I was going to say it lasted longer than the Super League. It did. It did, unfortunately. Not as fun, though. Not as the Super League, as short as it was. Very, very fun. Next question. The Patriots... Did not have to move up to get Mac Jones. Mac Jones. Uh, yeah, and that's that's the thing that last night everyone was like, oh, typical Belichick, typical Belichick. You know, he sits and he waits and he gets his guy. That's true, but let's see, like, how Mac Jones is. I mean, obviously they need they wanted a quarterback. And here's let me ask you this. I mean, it's everyone is so convinced, like, his style of play is exactly what um, – his style of play is exactly what Belichick wants and needs. I still think that needs to be proven. I mean, I, I mean, Brady was there for so long and you knew who he was, but why do you think there's this kind of overwhelming popular feeling that Mac Jones is exactly what he needs? Because he's white and looked out of shape like Tom Brady did before he got drafted. Did you see the Did you see the pictures of that guy? Yeah. Like oh, I, a little party in there in Alabama. Like this is what's so bizarre about Mac Jones is that Mac Jones is not like this athletic quarterback that we've seen like you have you almost have to be an athletic quarterback to be good in the NFL right now and he's not that so his his path to success is okay he's got to be Tom Brady or Peyton Manning and that is such a narrow path to success that it's like that's that's never going to work out he's he's not no. going to be those two guys so it's it's always been the bizarre thing. Like Trey Lance and Justin Fields and even Trevor Lawrence, because Trevor Lawrence runs all the time too in college. Like they have many paths to success. They don't have to fit in this one hole of, okay, you have to be Tom Brady. Like they have many ways that they can be a successful NFL quarterback. For Mac Jones, that's it. That is the one way he can do it. And it's so hard, it's so hard to be Tom Brady or Peyton Manning that yes. it just seems 
it seems so improbable. I don't have a problem with the Patriots taking him because they didn't have to move up. He fell to them at 15, and, if, and he might end up being a good quarterback. But it's just I, I'd never, I never comprehended the idea that anybody would be taking Mac Jones ahead of any of the other quarterbacks. Like that to me sounded extremely dumb for somebody to even consider that. Man, you know, that's a great question. The Falcons selected Kyle Pitts fourth overall. It is the highest a tight end has ever been taken. Well, look, I mean, I, I didn't mind it if he's as good as everyone says, right? I mean, the, the, the talk about being on number one on people's boards and people excited. I mean, I think, you know, Matt Ryan, as long as he's been around and as much money as he's made, let's be honest, he got into one Super Bowl and they lost a 28-3 lead. I don't think he's been, like, you know, as great as everyone might perceive him to be. So if this guy's this good and he's a generational talent at that position, and depending on – that's the other thing we don't know. Like, what were the offers to come into that pick? Like, I had, someone had to call, right? I mean, there had to be calls on that pick because they knew they probably weren't going quarterback. So if you're telling me the offers weren't great and they took this guy – I mean, you know, again, it's like it's like Leatherwood or any of these guys. Let's see in three or four years because they say this guy's a completely generational talent at that position. We know how valuable Kelsey is. Heck, we know how valuable Darren Waller is. If he's like in that realm, then it's probably a good pick. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a fun pick to take the tight end that high and see how Kyle Pitts could be. Because I'll say this, I'm ready to draft him in fantasy football yes! right now, but. I, d I don't know if it's a smart pick because it's ultimately a tight end, and for him to be for him to be worthwhile at number four, he's got to be Darren Waller, he's got to be Travis Kelsey, like he's got to be one of the top five tight ends, and that's like right. just like Mac Jones, that's sort of hard to project. So I don't know if it's a smart pick, but it is a fun pick, and I'm very much ready to watch Kyle Pitts in that offense, and very much ready to draft Kyle Pitts in fantasy football. It, that was genuinely, I was just like, yes. Falcons games have always been can't miss television because they're always somehow down by 30 points and just chucking it in order to get to lose by 10. Now they have another weapon. This is going to be delightful to watch them lose by 16 each week. I'm out. Here's some breaking news from Pete Thamel. Uh, UNLV is extending the contract of Desiree Reed Francois four years until 2026. So Desiree Francois getting an extension. I'll say this off the top of my head, the Desiree Francois era. They've done a good job with academics. They've done a good job hiring uh, Olympic sport coaches, the smaller sports, and they've done a good job at winning in those sports. They have not done a good job in the two sports that are important in men's basketball and football. So I don't think I'm surprised that Desiree Francois got an extension, but I think a lot of UNLV fans might not be exactly thrilled that she's getting an extension. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, five years or four. She had one left in her contract, um, so they're being, you know, they're being secure and and, and consistent with their AD and and uh, great for her and her family. She had been kind of linked to the Kansases and the Northwesterns and UCLA. We knew about. Um, so the new president obviously came in, liked what he saw, and is extending her. And you know, we'll have to see. Like we've always said about Desiree. Um, you know, I think in the Olympic, ADs always come back to who you've hired, right? That's really, you know, I think she's really good on the money side and all that. And I think she would admit this and know this because the Olympic hires have been really good. What have you done? What are you going to do in football and basketball? So, you know, again, that's TJ left on his own accord. Kevin's now hired. Arroyo's only been there for one season in terms of what he did. 
I think that kind of defines not just Desiree Reed Francois, that defines any AD, right? At this level, how are you in football and basketball? So we'll see in time. Those are the those are her hires, and we're gonna have to see how they work out. It's uh, it's it, she hasn't hit on the most important things yet. I think there's signs that say she's been a good AD, but her football program's coming off a zero win season. Her basketball program was under 500 last year with two coaches that she hired. Now she needs Kevin Kruger to be good. She needs Marcus Arroyo to be good. If one of those two turn out to be really good, then perfectly fine. It's it's going to be a great Desiree Francois era. If they both end up being below average coaches. The rest of the stuff doesn't matter a whole lot. I mean, it's nice and it might, it might matter to her, but as far as the fan base goes, it doesn't matter if you've got good grades and you're winning in tennis. Like, you you got to yeah. be good at one of the two important sports, and they, they haven't been the entire time she's been here. They weren't before she got here either. It's not necessarily she created the problem, but she hasn't fixed it yet, and that's the bigger issue. All right. We got a haircut to give away from Floyd's 99 Cuts and Color. You'll get a haircut, hot lather neck shave, and shoulder massage, plus a free massage shampoo. Caller number three, 702-364-1100 is the number. 702-364-1100. We'll take caller number three for a free haircut from Floyd's 99 Cuts and Color. Curveball hit to right. Does this one have enough? It's hooking towards the pole. It's gone. Travis Shaw, two-run home run. The Brewers take a 2-0 lead on Bauer and the Dodgers. He sends one in the air into I think that ironically, it was uh, the night that he didn't have his best stuff as far as command and teeth to his pitches, but a uh, complete game. Uh, it just speaks to how good he is, how much he competes. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas, 1100 AM and 100.9 FM. Gotta say, the NLS standings are kind of funny right now. Who's that in first place, Ed? The Giants. And was that Roberts on Bauer? I'll tell you one thing, Roberts. I don't know about his command, but you scored one run. He gave up two runs. Like, and he's pitching into and he pitched complete games. Like, what do you want from the guy? You know, he makes a bad pitch on the home run, but it's like, well, I don't think he had his command. Guess what? Neither did your bats. Your bats have no command right now because you can't score off me. So saying talking about Bauer in any negative way last night about his command, uh, he gave up two runs over like, you know, complete game. Can you score at all? Like, come on. I, I, I didn't know that clip. We we're going to play that clip. But now that I think about it, it's like, dude, what? I mean, you, you scored a run and it, it took you to the ninth inning to do that. Uh, gotta love God. it. Man, I love when the Dodgers lose. It's great. <laughs> they should have they should have gotten a guy on first and then bunted him around to third. Oh, boy. Yes, exactly. Yes. All right. Yesterday, UNLV landed another transfer, this time. In Josh Baker, who is coming from a junior college, coming from Hutchinson Community College, um, Josh Baker had a really good offensive year at Hutchinson Community College. He averaged 16.6 points per game last year. In his two years there, he hit 46% of his three-pointers while taking over five per game. So in back-to-back days, Kevin Kruger has landed a player that has a good shooting track record and a track record of scoring at a high level. Granted, Josh Baker did this at the community college level, not at the Division One level. So what do you make of this junior college addition? 
I mean, Hutch is one of the best JUCO programs in America. A year in and year out, they've won all kinds of JUCO national championships. So you know, he comes from a really good program. Uh, I make forty six from forty six percent from three. He is your favorite player immediately. He'll be your favorite player. Um, yeah. I mean, well, look, what did we say when he had Kevin Kruger on? Uh, whether it was last week or ever, do you have enough shooters? You asked him, he said, well, I don't think you think I do. And what do you do in the next two or three times? <laughs> he got guys who can shoot. So I'm You're welcome, UNLV fans. You're welcome. I mean, I'm fine. I'm fine with the sign. Like I said, it's the Juco probably comes from is really, really good. And, um, you know, and those kind of numbers there are good. So, yeah, um, they need guys. Sometimes a guy from, from Hutchison Juco, you know, we don't know why he ended up at a Juco or whatever, but – Sometimes those guys translate to Division One more than guys at Division Ones who in smaller Division Ones who go up in class. Like that happens a lot. So there's every chance he's really good. And like I said, I mean, the last two signings have been really good three point shooters at the last places they've been, and they've scored points. And what did we say all along? Where's the shooting? Where's the scoring? Well, at least on paper, and everything we're talking about is on paper. We have no idea really how, and neither does anyone else, how any of these guys are going to pan out. But if we said beforehand, hey, it looks like he got really good defensive players, I think you got to give credit here and say, hey, the last two signings, it looked like he got he got some guys who can make shots. Yeah, I, I think it, as far as filling out the roster goes, the last two signings, aside from landing just like a star player, this is the type of player they needed to, to add. This is, this is the player they needed to get, somebody that has a good track record of shooting and somebody that's actually scored quite a bit in their career too, even if it's at the junior college level. Um, here's what I find to be most interesting. They now have 12 players on the roster. There's one scholarship open, but 12 players on the roster. Eight of those players are guards. Four of those players would be front court players. And I think, based on roster construction, that Kevin Kruger is going to play a lot of four-guard offense. Because look at the guards they've brought in. First off, they already had Marvin Coleman and Nick Blake. And we assume Nick Blake's going to play big minutes this year just because he was a top 100 recruit and he looked solid in, in limited minutes last year. But you bring in Jordan McCabe, a transfer from West Virginia. You bring in Donovan Williams, a transfer from Texas. You bring in Justin Webster, a transfer from Hawaii. You bring in Josh Baker, a junior college transfer. You bring in Michael Nuja, a transfer from Kent State. The one thing about transfers that we know more than anything else is they normally transfer for playing time. That's a lot of guys. And the only way that most of those guys can actually get significant playing time is if they play a four-guard offense. And so I'm looking at this thinking, Kevin Kruger's probably about to play a four-guard offense quite a bit of the time for UNLV because that's how his roster's built. Right, right. Well, be fun to watch. Um, I know you'll like it if they're shooting a bunch of threes. And, you know, and those are certain nights where you're going to have a matchup edge and certain nights where you don't, uh, especially if you're not making shots. So um, I'd like to see it just to see how it works. You know, you, you, you kind of like that kind of game. Um, but there'll be nights where they kind of get beasted inside also, and, you know, you can't play four guards. Um, it's almost like – I was thinking about this yesterday when I was reading some of your stuff in this kid. It's almost like – the you know, it's it's kind of like the mock drafts where people say you – know, I think we talked about this. This guy's moving up or down, and it happens before the draft even happens. So it's like, well, that's kind of weird. You, you know he's moving up and down, but the draft hasn't happened yet. And this is what this is. We, we don't know. We have no idea how he's going to play, what it's going to look like. You just have to let it play out. When you're, when you're replacing 10 guys, and maybe nine, because I still think there's a really good chance Bryce Hamilton comes back, 
that's so many new guys and so many yeah. different types of players. Who knows? I mean, yeah. you can do you, you break down each one of these guys, and I think you base it on what the guy did before. I have no idea how many of these guys would be. That's what makes it fun to watch. I mean, how many people have really looked forward to a UNLV basketball season like in a long, long time? I think there's a lot of interest here. I'm interested. I know you are. Like in the last several years, I got to be honest with you, I wasn't that interested because we kind of knew the players. We kind of knew how it would look. Like they might be really bad. They might be really good. But I'm interested in seeing what he does as a coach. I, I really am. And with this many players, it is going to be fascinating to see how he plays and how good these guys really are. Like, as an example, now that they've added Michael Nuja and um, Josh Baker, I have legitimately no idea who who would who to even project as, like, the starters. Like, yeah, I, I don't, yeah, I don't exactly. know. Like, I think Jordan McCabe is going to start at point guard. But after that, like, is Nick Blake better than Donovan Williams, the transfer from Texas, or either who one knows? of them better than Justin Webster, the shooter from Hawaii? Or is Josh Baker, a junior college guy, better than all of them? What about Michael Nuga, yeah. who who had a great season at Kent State, but coming is coming off an ACL tear? Like, I I don't know. I don't I don't know. Yeah. There's that's like that's like five or six guys right there for two or three spots, and I have no clue which ones are better than the other. So it's it's going to be fascinating to see who actually is good because of those names, some of them aren't going to play and aren't going to be happy about it. So it's going to be fascinating to see who who actually plays, how they play and who's actually any good next year. And I'll say one other thing about Josh Baker. Coming from a junior college, there's two great examples in recent years for UNLV basketball. The first one is Shakur Justin, who came from the same community college, Hutchison Community College, and was really good his first year at yeah. UNLV. Like, was awesome in his first year at UNLV. They also got Eduardo Del Cadia last year from a junior college, and he was kind of useless for UNLV like right, he barely right. played the second half of the season so like that's sort of the the range of outcomes for Josh Baker he could come in and his he could be just as good at Juco or just as good at the Mountain West as he was at Juco he sure. could shoot 45 percent from three and score 15 points a game or he could come in and he never plays because he's not as good as Nick Blake or Justin Webster or Donovan Williams or Michael Nuka like that's absolutely yeah. possible so Who that's knows? that's the range of outcomes for the junior college guy all right Coming up next, we will talk to Mark Ross and get more into the NFL draft. Our stats hogwash. Are you tired of hearing Tyler do math on the radio? Tweet at Bischoff underscore Tyler and at Ed Graney. In all honesty, he was the highest rated player on our board at that time, offense or defense. So um, we need to get a lot better on defense. We recognize that. We hope to get a lot better this weekend. Uh, we got three picks tomorrow. We're excited about each and every one of them. So, again, I, I'm, I'm hoping that the board comes to us and uh, and that we play. We can take a, a real, three really good football players tomorrow. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is the Press Box with Grady and Bischoff. Joining us now is Mark Ross from NFL Network. You can follow him on Twitter at Mark Ross. Also, check out NFL Network's coverage of the NFL Draft from Cleveland. It continues tonight, rounds two and three tonight, starting at 4 p.m. Mark, how are you this morning? Oh, excellent, excellent. How about you guys? We are good. Um, so I, I want to I try to get, if we can... Your thoughts on, like, the Raiders, and it seems like every year they're reaching on guys that aren't projected in the first round. Like, what do you make of their reaches, and, and how aware should a team be of sort of where a player falls on everyone else's draft board? 
Yeah, that's the thing that you have to do when you grade and evaluate players. It's about the value. And it's okay to say, I like this player, but you don't have to like him with the fourth pick in the draft when you really, his value is the 34th pick in the draft. You don't have to like him as the, uh, you know, 20th player in the draft when he's more the 40th player. So it's all about getting the, the right value for what your like is and knowing that you're not out scooping other teams to get this player if there is no interest at all for these other, other players to get taken. So when I look at it in the Raiders context, like, okay, one time, two times, so you, you know, that may happen. But when it seems to be a pattern of this happening, then you're just valuing players completely differently than the rest of the league is valuing them. Now, if that works out and all these players turn out to be great, then you, you're ahead of the curve. You know what you're doing. Uh, it, it, they need to catch up to you. But if they're not working out, then there seems to be something broken in the system of how you're evaluating players. And, and in terms of that value, uh, to ha- have it happen over and over again and either not trading down or not coming off the pick, um, I mean, I guess does that suggest maybe people in the room think they're smarter than everyone else or they're going to do something other people don't? And when you see this kind of happen over and over, whether it's Clee Furl at four, whether it's, you know, Ruggs the first off, Arnett in the first round, now now you go to the Alabama kid for the Raiders. I mean, I guess what does that suggest to you? Are they just thinking they're smarter than everyone else or they just won't come off these picks and try to trade down? Yeah, it's either the, the system, the evaluation process they have, they truly believe in that. And then you have to say, okay, who's setting the tone for the evaluation? Is it the GM? Is it the scouts? Is it the coach? Who's that person that is, uh, is setting that draft board to say that these are the best players? Uh, or it could just be, hey, yes, we're going to be more clever than everyone. But you have to always take into account. You have to have your process for sure. But you also have to know the landscape of the entire league. It would be like in free agency if there was, you know, a second tier free agent, but yet you paid him top tier free agent money. Like your your system is not working if you're overpaying players in free agency. It's the same thing in the draft. If you're completely over drafting guys, then your system of, of evaluating is either broken uh, or you're just being different for the sake of being different. Now, if all this works, then you know what you're doing. But if it does not work, then there's a problem. So, Mark, what did you make yesterday of all the Aaron Rodgers reports leading up to the draft? Like, do you think he could actually play somewhere besides Green Bay next season? No, I don't see it happening. And it was, I think a lot of that was his, you know, agent-driven and uh, his frustration, a little passive aggressiveness through the media. Um, And I just take it from a front office point of view where the GM, Brian Gutekis, has come out continually and said it again, like, we're not trading this guy. He's not getting traded. He's not getting traded. We're keeping him. He's our future a foreseeable future. So when you see an organization do that, uh, I think it'll get worked out. They're trying to work it out. Uh, I think Aaron may just have been expressing some frustration. Of course, the media, that's what we do. We jump on things, and it's a great story. Uh, and I think the agent kind of planted that, thinking, oh, draft day, I can get something out of it. But I think it was kind of ill-timed uh, for that reason. So I would expect Aaron Rodgers to, to fully be in a Packers uniform next year. Could it be mostly uh, – look, I mean, they took Jordan Love in the first round. I know first-rounders and one Green Bay has sat behind guys uh, for however long. But eventually, in 2021, in the first round, you're going to play the guy – you have to play the guy eventually. And is this, in your mind, maybe a, a, a situation where Rodgers wants that extension and wants to be a little more year, a little few more years than Green Bay wants you because they know they eventually have to play the other kid? Yeah, they drafted – they trade up the draft Jordan Love for a reason, and it was – to take care of the future. That's what you have to do as a GM is you're trying to win, but you're also trying to look for the well-being of the future of the franchise. Uh, 
and that will be at the quarterback position. We, we saw it last night, just how teams need to get quarterbacks. Green Bay did it a year ahead. They're looking out for the future. So they do have some leverage where Aaron is, okay, we'll come to our terms more so. If not, we have leverage. We have this player, and there really isn't any leverage Aaron has except to do what he did, put things out in the media, try to create a stir in uh, that right. But just as far as contractually, there's not much he can do. So uh, I think, again, they'll come to terms. Everyone will get on the same page uh, sooner rather than later. Mark, what did you make, uh, from that front office perspective, what did you make of all of the reports around the 49ers pick and if they might take Mac Jones? Like, what did you make? What do you make of when there's so much different information leading up to a pick like that? Yeah, and that's what we would have production meetings and everybody. Mac Jones, I said, well, don't believe it. Until it happens, I'm not believing it. Until it happens, I'm not believing it. Until they pull that card. And sure enough, it wasn't that. You know, I think the 49ers, they're in the third spot. You, you almost knew Lawrence and Wilson were going number one and two. And they created more intrigue than what was necessary. And I'm not sure why they did that. If you got the third pick to say, this is our guy and take it, like you're not out scooping anyone. You're not hiding someone. You don't have to jump over or trade over someone to get your guy. He's there. Um, you know, the, the, the coyness, the secrecy, just to say you're taking Trey Lance and go with it. Um, but, you know, that being said, I, I think that, you know, I, I think Justin Fields would have been a better choice there. That would be another segment. But, yeah, I, I just wasn't sure why they needed all that secrecy. In draft season, you can just never never believe things until the card is pulled and that name is called. Uh, other than Alex Leatherwood, he might be the leader in the clubhouse here. Uh, if you go through the first round last night in terms of surprises and maybe guys that didn't come off the board that you thought would, what kind of stood over? To, what's kind of stood overall to you about this first round and, and maybe things you weren't you didn't see coming? Well, yeah, definitely Alex Leatherwood uh, took the cake with that, where we kind of were, you know, had a, a, our group uh, chat with all the network people, and one of the segments was going to be the surprise. And as soon as that got taken, I said, well, this is the winner, and I don't think this is going to be beat. So, um, you know, I think the running backs going, it, both guys running back going in the first round was a little bit of a surprise, even though Najee was predicted to go to, to Pittsburgh for a while. You know, I think there was a lot of good offensive linemen that slid out of the first round that were – we're, we're going to go, uh, but, you know, I, I think, you know, chalk at the top there was, you know, with the quarterbacks going, the Trey Lance pick certainly was a surprise, but I think there was a lot of great value for, for players, and I'm particularly like J.C. Horn and Patrick Sertain going eight and nine, where in typical drafts, those guys would have been top five picks. You know, last year, Jeffrey Okuda went to Detroit at three. I think these guys are much better players than him, so I think just the value from there, and then also with the, you know, the L.A. Chargers, hate to bring this up, but, you know, that, that getting Rashawn Slater at 13, who I thought was the best offensive lineman in the draft, or Justin Herbert, I thought that was a, a stroke of genius and really fortunate for them. So what about the Bears trading up? Do you think that was one of the better picks of the first round? I, lo- I love that. I think that was the best uh, move, and I had said it the day before when I was on air they took with the segment of what team – uh, will you be looking for? And I said, the Bears at 20. And because that Ryan Pace, the GM, uh, Matt Nagy, the head coach, they couldn't go into the season having Andy Dalton save their job. <laughs> There's absolutely no way that those guys, and if they are, then they need to be gone. Because you, I'm saying, my job's on the line in the last two years, and Andy Dalton, you're going to save it. Well, you should just start walking out the door right now. So I said that they were the team that has to do something. And sure enough, they did. Again, I think Justin Fields, not just should have been the third pick, but possibly, you know, was 
had the makeup and the production and the pedigree and all he's done to be the first pick in the draft. Uh, and I think that was an amazing job by Chicago to get up there. And I think, uh, you know, I just love Justin Fields. And I think in the end of it, he might be the best quarterback of this whole group. Give us some thoughts maybe as it opens today at uh, 4 Eastern on what you think happens fast, a run on certain positions or guys that you saw last night, like, boy, how is that guy not out? Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of good uh, O linemen that are still up on the board. I think, and, and also corners. So I think there was a really those were the two strongest groups in in my view. Were was the corner group and the offensive line group. So you saw a lot of guys, uh, particularly in the O line group and, and even the corner group, that did not get take, taken. So you're looking at guys like a you know Asante Samuel Jr. Uh, from Florida State, a Tyson Campbell from Georgia, Georgia at the corner position. Uh, you know the O line, uh, Jalen Mayfield. Uh, Creed Humphrey, you know, those sort of guys, I think you'll see a run there. And it'll also be intriguing to see which team kind of, you know, is looking at the draft board now and saying, wow, that's a player we really wanted to get and we had a value really high. Let's jump up to get this player. So look for a run on O-line, D-corner, and uh, a couple teams trying to jump up in there to get a guy they kind of rated high in the first that didn't get taken last night. Who catches more touchdown passes from Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne or Tim Tebow? <laughs> It'll never end. You can't kill him, man. Oh, just when he thought he's done, he's coming back at you, Freddy Krueger, man. Jeez. <laughs> well, he is Mark Ross again. Follow him on Twitter at Mark Ross and uh, check him out on NFL Network as their coverage of the NFL draft continues today with rounds two and three. Mark, we appreciate the time this morning. Thanks, Mark. Okay, thanks. My pleasure. Oh, that's beautiful. Fetty Krueger. Oh, Tim Tebow. I can't I, believe it. I can't I can't believe he got I mean I can. It's Urban Meyer, but what are you doing? Like what do you actually think you're doing with Tim Tebow as a tight end? And here's the question. Who called who? Uh, that 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 is an excellent question, Ed. That like, is who an called, excellent who, who question. Who called who? Which one? Because that, it's really bad if it's Urban. Like, if it's Tim, okay, the lunatic, like Freddy Krueger, I'm going to come back, I'm going to be a tight end. Yes. But what if it was actually Urban Meyer? That is, if, if Tim Tebow oh, called up Lord. and said, hey, Urban, I, I want to give it a shot at tight end. Yeah. Can I come try out? Urban says, fine, Sure, whatever. throw some shorts but Urban, on and run around. Yeah. Yeah. But if Urban Meyer called him and was like, hey, Tim, <laughs> I saw you on the SEC Network. Your shoulders are looking good. How about a shot at tight end for us this year? <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, boy. And listen, Urban just drafted Travis Etienne in the first round, so it wouldn't put it past him for Urban Meyer to have said, all right, Tim, come catch some passes from Trevor Lawrence. Urban is just assuming, for whatever reason, wrongly, that he has the same defense at Ohio State, so he's just going to load up on offensive players. Like, right, that I've always been good defensively. We're fine here. Uh, Let me just get a bunch of offensive players. And he doesn't – the Urban will be a great storyline. Well, everyone's going to watch Trevor Lawrence, obviously. Everyone's going to watch how he does. But – if if people don't like blankety blank from my friend on Aaron Rodgers, I cannot tell you how many people want Urban Meyer to fail. I mean, and hello, I'm raising my hand because I've never been a fan of that guy. But that will be, you know, is he is he Nick Saban too? Is he like one of the best college coaches ever who can't hack it in the NFL for whatever reason because he wants too much control? When these guys like that come up there, they don't understand they do not not have near the control anymore. These are men. They're professionals. They do kind of sometimes what they want. So I'm kind of really going to watch Urban Meyer because I think oh. there's a better chance he's Nick Saban too, where he's like, I didn't know it was going to be like this. Dude, 
he's got to call Percy Harvin. <laughs> and I mean, there's another guy from Florida that he could call, but I, I don't think he's with us anymore. Coming up next. Hey, our sharp is 2-0. and oh. It's time to find the sharp. Brought to you by PropSwap, where smart sports bettors buy and sell sports bets. Go to PropSwap.com today and find the very best odds. Michael is 2-0. and oh. He's gotten the Golden Knights and the Bruins, who have both won the last two nights. All right, Michael, you're going for three. You can you can pick anything from the weekend, by the way, so it doesn't have to be the night. It just has to be done before we're on the air Monday. Where do you want to go? Oh, I'm going to go back with the Bruins. They are okay. playing the Sabres oh. again, and it's going to be another <laughs> one-sided match. Back to back. I do, I do enjoy this quirk of the hockey schedule where sometimes you play the same team like four times in a row, and Michael might take the Bruins four times in a row on this street. All right, we got you in for the Bruins again, Mike, Michael. Um, Mike, that luck. was a surprise to me. I thought you were going Avalanche minus $3 tonight. <laughs> I don't know because they're, they're so shorthanded. They're without their goalie, you know. Yeah, I just, yeah. Well, you're okay because the Bruins are minus $4 tomorrow, so you're fine. (laughs) Thanks, Michael. We'll be talking to you on Monday. Thank you. Michael's going to win through May 11th because I think that's the last time the Sabres play. Because he's just going to pick anyone playing the Sabres. Oh, the Cody Eakin team. Although I saw a tweet that said Cody Eakin had to go home because he was having a child. Having a child, good for him. Um, Well, I don't like him. Which makes you you dislike him even more. Yeah, I don't like kids. So bad for Cody Eakin. Um, good for the Sabres, though, because he's out of the lineup. So very clutch kid there from Cody Eakin. Um, I wanted to touch back on on one thing about Alex Leatherwood, the Raiders' first-round pick at 17 overall. Did you put anything into Mike Mayock saying that Alex Leatherwood was Tom Cable's favorite player in the draft? Um, I guess other than Tom Cable has a lot of juice in the building. I, I mean... I, look, I assume if they're, you know, they're drafting a tackle, you ask the offensive line guy to look at tape. I'm sure he looked at tape at every offensive lineman in the draft. I would hope he did. So that's really all I put into it. I would assume whatever position you picked, that coach has watched film of every one of those guys, and then he gives his view, and you make the decision. So I, I don't know. I mean, do you think it meant more than that? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I just assume position coaches watch film. I mean, so what's interesting is that, I think the Raiders might have simply said, we're taking an offensive line or we're taking a tackle in the first round. We do not have a right tackle. We're taking a tackle in the first round. And it might have been as simple as, okay, we're going to ask our offensive line coach which player he likes the most. And whoever he says he likes the most, that's who we're going to draft. I think that might have been how this went. Like I know Mike Mayock said yesterday, that Gruden liked Alex Leatherwood and the scouts liked Alex Leatherwood and he loves it when the coaches and the scouts agree. But I honestly think it might have been as simple as, hey, we need an offensive lineman. Who does Tom Cable like? And Tom Cable said, that guy, Alex Leatherwood. So they said, okay, let's take him. We know we're going to get criticized for this. Well, oh, man. I, mean, I, I don't know. if the, <laughs> It's funny because someone, <laughs> someone showed video of the uh, – uh, draft room, and yeah, maybe we shouldn't read anything into this, but let's be honest, there wasn't a lot of fist bumping from everybody. Yeah, that so, was great. I don't, I don't, I mean, I. it's kind of like they were walking around the room saying, the camera's on us, should we be fist bumping like everyone else? The Eagles were like doing a choreographed dance with each oh. other 
Uh, the Bears, when they took fields, well, some lunatic ran in from the back and started hunking everyone. I'm like, who's that guy? Is he involved here? That's probably I Matt. Mean, that was Matt Nagy. The quarter. That was Matt Nagy going, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> I was going to get fired. I don't want to have just to move my in job. back in with Andy uh, Reid. All I saw was Mac in the room putting back his mask on. Because <laughs> <laughs> Okay. If we go back to 2018, I don't know if I'm remembering this correctly, but they took Colt Miller in the first round. That was Gruden's first year, Tom Cable's first yes. year back yes. as the offensive line coach. Right. Did it? Wasn't it the same scenario yeah. then of, hey, Tom Cable really loves Colton Miller? Like, wasn't that the same talking point we got after they drafted Colton Miller? Yes. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, that, that so, was the same thing. I mean, maybe Cable... I don't know. Maybe Cable's making all the decisions. I mean, who knows? Right. That's so. I don't know. That's what I, I. 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 Again, I'm probably simplifying it, but I honestly think the process was: we need a right tackle. There's a lot of good offensive tackles on the board. We're taking one with the first pick. Tom Cable. Who do you like? I. I like again. It's an oversimplification, but I think that might not be too far from the truth of what happened. I mean, I don't think any Maybe. of us would be surprised if Tom Cable strong armed someone. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> or either that or maybe they think Cable's still the head coach of the Raiders. <laughs> maybe they maybe they didn't realize he he lost that job back in the day. I like Listen. I don't know. I I don't know. I, I just assume every position coach is given ten hours of film on everyone they could draft and say, and yeah, absolutely. I'm sure the question was asked to Tom Cable, who do you like the best? I you have to ask him that. Maybe it's possible they looked at their last six first round picks and said, huh. The only one that's any good is the one we let Tom Cable pick. So maybe we should let Tom <laughs> Cable pick again. Uh, Tom, you're on a hot streak. <laughs> Roll those dice. Tom, Tom, you're our shark. Get us two in a row. <laughs> oh, man. Al, I, I feel bad for guys... Alex Leatherwood. Really? Oh. Yeah. yeah. I didn't feel bad for him. The guy got first round money. He was supposed to go in the third. Because it's going to be the same as Jonathan Abram and Damon Arnett this last year. That's like Abram and Arnett got destroyed by the fan base every game because they were awful as first round. If Leatherwood's not good, if if he gives up one sack, oh, it's going to be a nightmare. Yeah. Uh, they yeah, they just mean, put expectations. I can't feel sorry for a dude who's going to get 17th overall money for anything. So um, it, it'll be a little hard. It's going to have to be... Well, we'll know who gives up sacks and everything. They don't they don't stand out as much as like you said, like Arnett getting beat for fifty yards or rugs just not doing much at all. Um, <laughs> but we we will always have pro football focus to rely on to give us those grades and we'll see where he's at. <laughs> oh, did you guys see the tweet? I think it was from NFL Network that said Alex Leatherwood considers himself a meme connoisseur because yes! he has over a thousand memes saved to his phone. Yes. No. It's amazing. That sounds like a red flag, right? Like that sounds yes. like something my mother has because she wants to post to Facebook a lot. Well, mm. that's and and we talked about this last night and talked about the TV people. And I, he said it really fast, and maybe you guys remember. He said it really fast when they drafted him. The one of the announcers brought up the Senior Bowl, and that he wasn't good at it, and there was a concern that hey, is he really into this? Is he really you know that much committed? I he said something to that effect. I should have gone back and completely listened to it. But it was not a good sense of the senior bowl, much like um, Austin told us this morning. Like, that keeps coming up. Like, why were you that way at the senior bowl? So it's something to look out for because at the end of the day, Tyler, they only take high-character guys. <laughs> I mean, come uh, on. This tweet from Josh Dubow uh, using a consensus big board. 
Colton Miller was picked 30 spots higher than projected. Cleland Furl, 16. Jonathan Abram, 19. Damon Arnett, 44. And Alex Leatherwood, 28. Hmm. They're not very good at this, are they? They know more than we do. Or should we let a Twitter? A, we should let a Twitter poll pick next year. <laughs>